You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Good morning, Radiant Church. Good to see all of you here on a beautiful Sunday morning. If you're new with us, my name is Marco. I am the lead pastor here. Welcome. It's our hope that you would encounter the living God, which we believe is Jesus Christ, our King of glory. If you're watching online, thank you so much. Leave a comment. Share this video on your live stream or on your newsfeed, rather. That helps us out so much. Well, today we are in part number 10. We're back in the book of Acts with part number 10 of our series entitled Spirit-Empowered Church. If you were here last week, Troy Nair told his story, testimony, and talked about God in our pain, in our suffering. You'll want to listen to that. you want to go back on YouTube and check that out. It was powerful. And uh, again, you'll definitely want to watch that. It will encourage you, inspire you, and move you. But today, we're back in the book of Acts. And if you're new with us, listen, the book of Acts is found in your New Testament in the Bible. And it is a story of the life of the early church, of the early church. And there's so much that we can glean from when we study the early church. We can talk about what it means to be a church today and what we should be doing and what we should emphasize and what we should be concerned about. So there's so many things that we're going to pull from as we go through this series. It's a long series, okay? Now, I don't actually know how long it's going to be. It's just going to be long. I know that. But we'll take plenty of breaks, okay? So we'll give you some room to breathe, and we'll go through other topical sort of um, sermon series. But here, here's the deal, church. One of my jobs is to teach you how to read the Bible, okay? Teach you how to dive into a book of the Bible. My job is to give you vegetables and lean meats, okay? Give you a healthy diet, and I want to take us through a book of the Bible. It may take a while, but as a church, we need to learn, listen, We need to learn the discipline of going through a book of the Bible, amen? Okay, listen, so my hope and my prayer for going through Acts is this. Number one, I want us to become more reliant on the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God's empowering presence, okay? So I want us to rely more on him. We need the Holy Spirit. Number two, I want us to find our story wrapped up in the story of the of the big capital C church, okay? 2,000 years of church history. Finally, number three, I want us to learn how to endure and persevere as believers, especially in the world that we live in right now. Very tumultuous, very um, just everything being shaken again that can be shaken. And so if you read the book of Acts, you will find that one of Um, One of the big themes in the book of Acts is the theme of unity, unity. How many of you know that unity is really important when it comes to the life of the church? Amen, right? Super important. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Luke says this, that believers, that the believers were of one heart and one mind. Powerful. They were all on the same page, okay? And I believe this is one of the reasons why the church grew so rapidly. They had one heart, right? One, literally, the Greek, it's 
one heart and one soul, a picture of this almost, in some sense, perfect unity. Suddenly, though, we get to Acts chapter 6, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, and no longer is the church acting in unity. They're not united by a common purpose, which is pursuing God's plans, God's purposes for their lives. They're actually, Luke opens up the chapter by showing how the church is divided by a problem, okay? Divided by a problem. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6 in a few more moments, but I want to tell you this morning that Satan, I don't know if you knew this, but Satan hates the church, just in case you didn't know that, right? Satan hates the church, and there are at least three ways that we learn about from Acts that Satan can try to destroy a church. There's three ways, at least three ways, right? The first way is this. Satan can try to destroy a church from the outside through what? Through persecution, through persecution. Those who oppose the message of Christ will always do their best to snuff out uh, the proclamation of God's word, will always try to stop momentum or the movement, the growth of God's church, okay? And so we see this, of course, in the book of Acts. Do you guys remember? The apostles, they were thrown in jail. They were imprisoned, and they were released by an angel. You guys might remember that story. And then what happened? Well, the Sanhedrin, they're made to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, this Jewish ruling council. And then what happens? Well, they are whipped or flogged. That's a severe beating. I know, I know that we can overlook that, but that is not like being hit with a wet noodle, okay? That is like a severe lashes, 39 lashes on their backs. That would leave most of us on our knees begging for mercy. But what it does with the apostles is the exact opposite. Luke actually says that the, the, the apostles, they rejoiced for suffering for their Savior and that they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of the, of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah. So guess what? Persecution doesn't stop the early church. The second way Satan can stop a church or destroy is this. Satan can destroy a church through infiltrating the church, infiltrating the church. We learn this because what? Acts chapter 5, Satan tried to do this with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story? Many of you remember the sound effect because you came up and said it to me. Right? Okay? Ananias and Sapphira, Satan entered their hearts, and they lied about a piece of property that they sold. Right? And, and Satan doesn't win, though. God doesn't allow Satan to enter into the church. It's a severe judgment. Okay? Severe judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. They are struck dead, They're struck dead. And it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing because even though there is this judgment and even though there is fear that strikes the hearts of all those who hear of the story and see it, what Luke tells us is this. Luke tells us that God continued to add men and women to the church, that the number of people who came into the church increased. So guess what? Satan does not win here as well. Finally, if persecution, okay, and infiltration doesn't work, here's what Satan can do. Satan can try to destroy a work through what? Through division. Division. Because Satan knows that if he can just get God's people to turn on one another, that eventually that church will be no more. Right? I mean, and, and we know this. We know this. Because we've all heard the stories. 
of the, the little Baptist church or whatever kind of church. They fight about the carpet or whatever or the color of the carpet. They fight about, you know, you didn't do a hymn. How dare you not do a hymn? You are going to hell, right? And, and so the Christians turn on one another. And guess what? That church just goes, just everybody splits. Their, they go their own way. And I think Satan just mocks us. He laughs at us. He's like, man, these guys are so stupid, right? So, they're so idiotic that they're fighting about the color of the carpet. Or they're fighting about whether it's a, it's a hymn or whether it's a popular song, a Christian song on the radio, and, right? It's a way that Satan can, uh, can use to divide the church. And I think we should be aware of his tactics. And so, listen, today, I want to talk about this. Today, I want to talk about what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? And then I also want to talk about division, division. Why is or how is division rather one of Satan's primary tactics to destroy the church, okay? Because he hates the church. He hates radiant church as well. You should know that, not to be afraid, but to be aware of his tactics. So we're going to talk about that. I'm excited for today. It's going to be good. It it was good to be off last Sunday, but um, uh, today I'm, I'm back and I'm ready. Let's go, all right? Let's go. All right, so let's pray. Yeah, a couple of hand, I like it, a couple of hand claps, pretty cool. Let's pray, and we'll get into this thing. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for your living word. God, we thank you that your word, according to Hebrews 4, verse 12, it's active, it's alive, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. So God, we pray that your word would now cut into our hearts. God, I understand some of us in here, we're, we're, we're hardened because we've been hurt by someone. Maybe it's not even related to the church, and that's okay. But still, our hearts are hardened. So would you soften hearts today, God? Would you heal hearts? Would you mend marriages? God, um, some of my friends in here may be struggling with loneliness and depression. God, would you comfort them today? Some of them are fighting anxiety. Would you bring encouragement to their hearts today, Lord? Would you open up minds, eyes to see the beauty of Jesus today, God, that we might be drawn to you, Lord. Lord, we can't help but think about uh, the madness of Ukraine right now. And Lord, what seems to be a ruler bent on power and domination, a lust for power, has caused the war. God, our hearts are grieving right now. We've, seen, we've all seen the images, God, of the Ukrainians. God, I, just this morning I saw a photo of a husband saying goodbye to his wife and kids as they go into Poland, and he takes up arms to defend his country. So many stories just like that of husbands saying, we're staying, we're fighting, we're not giving in, Lord, and our hearts are broken for these families and these these babies and these toddlers and these kids, Lord, Lord, without their father, so their father might fight for freedom. So God, would you remember Ukraine this morning? Prince of Peace, would you intervene? God, end this conflict. Lord, we're hearing that if the capital is taken, there will be much bloodshed, great carnage, because the people are not going anywhere. Lord, that scares me greatly. God, would you end this conflict, Lord? Prince of Peace, move in. Prince of Peace, protect those innocent women, those children, God. I can't even imagine what they're feeling right now. Their husbands going to war while they flee. Lord, we remember especially the church, the Ukrainian church, our brothers 
and our sisters. This is our family, God. Lord, these are not foreigners, they're family. So God, we pray for the church that the word of God might multiply, disciples might grow, and that many, many people would turn to Jesus, God. So Lord, would you intervene? Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Maranatha, we pray. In Jesus' name. We're going to pick things up this morning in Acts chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses behind me. Notice what Luke writes. He starts off by telling us the problem that has entered into the church. It says this, In those days when the number of disciples were increasing or was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's pause there for a few moments, and right off the bat, we can see um, there's a problem here in the church, and the church is growing rapidly. Luke has told us this many times, and many times when a church grows rapidly, guess what happens? The people complain, <laughs> right? The people complain because they think, oh, why don't you have this, and why aren't you doing that, and where's your kids program here, and why is it, and, and that's happened to me, people have complained to me, why aren't you doing this, and why don't we have enough people in the kids' classrooms, and why don't we have an adult, you know, special ministry, blah, 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 list goes on and on. This is pretty normal for a growing church, by the way. When the church grows, people complain, okay? It just happens, and it's happening here as well. These, um, every single day, Luke tells us that there was a distrib distribution of food, and what that was, that was an outreach, but that was not an outreach to outsiders, that was for insiders. That was for the church, okay? Essentially, that was like a food distribution for those who were poor within the church. Now, a great number of those people were widows. Naturally, they had a great need, right? And so the Hellenistic Jews are complaining, basically, to the Hebraic Jews, hey, you're not taking care of my widows, our widows. Hey, we're, they're not getting the food they need, the supplies that they need. What's going on? Something is falling to the wayside, and there is a complaint that happens here, okay? Now, let me give you some more context here. This is really important for us today. The Hellenistic Jews were Greek-speaking Jews, okay? Greek-speaking Jews, and they were from outside of Jerusalem. They were outside of what we call the nation-state now, of course, known as Israel. Now, if you study any of the Jewish history, you'll know this, that the Jew... The Jewish people have a history of oppression, right? Babylonians, Assyrians, of course, came in, um, conquered. And now at this time, it's what? Romans, the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire has come in. And what happens when this takes place? The Jews are dispersed all over the Mediterranean, right? So this is, they call it the diaspora. I think I'm saying that right. Or you can just say the dispersion. Jews go all over the world, Mediterranean. Some Jews have gone to Greece, right? in that area there, and they have become, what, essentially immersed in Greek culture. So what happens then? Well, they learn how to speak the Greek language, okay? The Hebraic Jews, on the other hand, are what we might say native Jews, okay? These are the Jews that are native to Jerusalem. They grew up in the neighborhood. They know the area. And what do they speak? They speak Aramaic, okay? Now, they knew a little bit of Greek, but they primarily spoke Aramaic. Now, I want you to notice this right off the bat, okay? Let me pause briefly, because I want you to notice, listen, that the early church was diverse. The early church was diverse. It was diverse 
culturally and linguistically. Okay? Culturally and linguistically, meaning language that they spoke. Okay? You have these Greek-speaking Jews who come into Jerusalem, and guess what? They're like, we don't speak Aramaic, and we don't... And the Hebrews are saying, we don't speak Greek. And I mean, it's like, it's already kind of a little bit of a conflict. So guess what? It was natural for the Greek-speaking Jews to hang out with who? Other Greek-speaking Jews. It was natural for the Hebraic Jews who spoke Aramaic to hang out with who? Those who spoke Aramaic and had a similar culture. Now, even though this is what is taking place in the early church, Luke never tells us that there's two different churches. Luke doesn't say there's the Greek church on the west side and there's the Aramaic church on the east side. He says that there's one church. It's fascinating, right? There's one church. And let me just say this, different yet united. Let me say this, that Satan wants to use our differences to divide us, right? But God wants to use our differences to strengthen us, right? Right? Satan wants to use our differences to divide us, Okay? God wants to use our differences to strengthen us, okay? Here's what I want to say. Our differences, listen, church, our differences are a prophetic witness to the world that God is among us. What does that mean, a prophetic witness? Because you might be new to church. You're like, I don't speak Christianese. Totally get that. Totally get that. Prophetic means sort of of the future or pertaining of the age to come. It's a future glimpse Right? A prophetic witness, we're testifying of what is to come one day, which is one body, one church all together. The world should wonder, how is it possible that these people who don't look alike, who don't think alike, who don't talk alike, who um, sometimes they don't even vote alike, <gasps> um, um, they, they, don't, you know, they don't talk alike, they don't make the same amount of money. How is it that those people can have love, genuine love for one another? And the answer is, guess what? It's God. It's God. That's how. That's how. The answer, it's God. God is among us, okay? Are we going to get on each other's nerves? Yes and amen. Yes. Are there going to be misunderstandings among us? Yes, there will be, right? Here's the question. Can we still love one another? I, don't, I might not always like you. You might not always like me. But can we still love one another? Okay? We often think that the person next to us or behind us or besides us who's different from us is the enemy. Okay? We may think, hey, if only that person thought like me, we'd have the perfect church. It might be a cult by then, but whatever, you know. No one ever talks about that. Okay, y'all can go to church where everybody thinks like you. Good luck. I'm serious. Okay? God says, listen, your differences make you stronger. Okay? Church, let me remind you that Christ is returning for his bride, and his bride is every tongue, every tribe, every language, every skin color, and it's all beautiful to him. Okay? It's all beautiful to him. The question, is at, the question at hand is, can we be different yet united in our pursuit of God's purposes and God's plans, right? Can we be united in saying that Jesus is Lord and I am not? Can we be united? Friends, I'm concerned about this. Listen, sometimes I think, sometimes this, 
Sometimes I think Christians are so busy fighting one another, they're unable to fight the real enemy. Can I get an amen? So busy nitpicking one another. It's like a cat. The claws are coming out. Right? Pastor. Whoa, whoa, I didn't do anything. Whoa, chill out. I'm going to another church. Good luck finding a church that worships you. Oops. Here's what Paul says. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Listen, Paul, profound words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, right? Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 15 closely, church. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Wow, that's a warning, isn't it? So Satan's desire is for us to continually bite and devour one another. So why? So that the church can just implode and be no more. And guess what? Satan laughs. He mocks us. He points his finger at us. He says, you guys are a bunch of morons. You cannot even get along to have a church service. What idiots. They're so, he, he might think Christians are so easy to divide. Oh my gosh. It's pathetic. That's, I think that's what Satan says. I think that's what he's thinking. Let it not be so among us. Amen, church? Listen, the problem could have fractured the church, but it doesn't because the apostles step in. They have a solution. Let's go to verses 2 through 4. Here comes the solution. So the 12 gathered all the disciples and said, uh, disciples together and said, sorry, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, if you work at Applebee's as a waiter, this is not a jab to you, okay? So just, I'll explain that in a minute. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. Look, notice this. Notice the qualifications. From among you who are known to be, of the, known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. I love these qualifications. Because he doesn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go find the most talented people and choose them. Go find the most charismatic people and choose them. Go find the sexiest guys and choose them, right? Little pressure off of me, thank the Lord, right? <laughs> Little, just saying, just saying. He says, here's the qualifications. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. What responsibility? Serving tables, serving the poor, outreach, taking care of things, hands and feet, greeters and hospitality team and, and the coffee makers and uh, people in the sound booths and those with cameras and those uh, drawing pictures and taking photos and all those things. He says, we'll, we'll give that responsibility over to them. And then what? We'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Right? Now, listen here. The apostles were unique. We can all agree on that. Why were they unique? Well, they were unique because they, they, they were with Jesus. That's why. So they were in a unique position in that day. They, they had seen Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They saw Jesus heal people. They heard Jesus' teachings. And so now they are tasked with what? Um, with spreading the gospel themselves, with making disciples 
but they themselves were those first witnesses. So they had a unique role um, in that time, in that place for the church. And what happens is, is that they get too busy. Again, this happens when the church grows. They get too busy serving tables that they what? They neglect the word of God and prayer. And that's a problem, church. That's a problem, right? They neglect the word of God and prayer. Now, if you are here and you work at Applebee's or um, Uno's and you're a server there, God bless you. We love you. We thank you. And um, yeah, we appreciate you, okay? This is not saying that waiting tables is a menial task because every ministry in the church is important, right? Amen? Every ministry in the church is important. This rather is what? Is a matter of priority. The apostles were doing jobs that others could do. You see what I'm saying? They were doing jobs that others could do. Now, let me talk about myself for just a moment. It's the same with my role. This is the way I treat it. And Acts 6 is my, is my guidelines. This is the same with my role. I love meeting with people. I love giving spiritual direction with people. I love giving spiritual counsel to people. But let me just be clear, that's not my primary gift. There are other people in the church, leaders, who are better at it than I am. They're, they're, they're better gifted at it. My primary role, here's my role. My primary role, two things. Prayer and the Word of God. That's my primary role. Prayer and the Word of God. My primary role within the church is to feed the flock. To feed y'all, okay? Green pastures, to feed the flock of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means this. That means that I cannot meet with everyone. That's what that means. That means that my, my, my capacity to meet with people is very limited. It's very limited, okay? Now, some of you might think, well, I don't like that. You're the pastor, and um, you should be meeting with me whenever I tell you to. And, and I, I, I get that, okay? But again, my primary role, listen, is prayer, study, the Word of God, and research. That's primarily my role. I do meet with people every week, but it's a very limited capacity. Now, if you don't like that, let me just tell you something here, okay? And I'm not trying to be snarky or anything. Um, but if you don't like that, let me, let me make this emphasis. If the Word of God is not emphasized here at Radiant Church, every other ministry will falter here, okay? You may not know that, and you may not believe that, but I promise you, as your shepherd, that will be the case. If the word of God is not emphasized, every other ministry will also falter and will, be, will begin to go in a different direction. But if the word of God is boldly proclaimed here and the body of Christ is edified, listen, that will strengthen every other ministry and we will be a much healthier church, right? We'll be a much healthier church. Who do I prioritize my time with then? You might ask. Well, I prioritize my time with leaders, other leaders. I do spend more time with them. I do answer the, the phone when they call. I do re return a text when, I, when they text me. Why? Because I know that they, in turn, are ministering to the rest of you. So I'm pouring myself out to a small group of people. This was Jesus' model. He gave himself more to 12. He gave himself even more to three. D.L. Moody says this, I would rather... Put a thousand men to the work than do the work of a thousand men. Come on, someone. That's the way church should be. Yep. 
I'm not going to do the work of a thousand men. I'd rather put a thousand men to do the work of the ministry. Here's the principle that emerges. One person, no matter how gifted, right, cannot do everything. Okay? One person, no matter how gifted they are, no matter how, how charismatic they are, no matter how great they look in skinny jeans, it doesn't matter. Listen, which, by the way, they cannot do <laughs> the work of the ministry on their own. This was a team sport. Uh, just ask Moses. Some of you are familiar with this um, story in the Old Testament, Exodus 18. If you're not, go to, go to Exodus 18 later on this afternoon. Okay, in Exodus 18, what is Moses doing? Moses is meeting with all the people to what? To be a judge for the people from morning till evening. And he's exhausting himself, okay? He is the one-man show. Moses' father-in-law steps in, Jethro, and says, Moses, what you're doing is not right, man. This is not going to work for you. You are going to wear yourself out. Moses is like, I know, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm, I'm on two Xanax a day, and I, like, I, I need help. Jethro's like, here's what you're going to do. You need to appoint other leaders to do the work of the ministry. You're going to appoint people who are going to be over tens, fifties, hundreds, maybe even a so Moses does it, and guess what happens, right? He's able to stand under the stress of ministry, and everyone else goes home happy. That's what Jethro told him will happen, right? He does this. Why? Because it's not about being a one-man show, okay? Moses raises up leaders to do the work of the ministry. So the apostles decide they're going to do the same thing. They're going to raise up seven men full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom to serve and care for the widows while they themselves give their time primarily to what? To prayer and the word of God. Okay? To prayer and the word of God. So what does that mean? Okay? What does that mean? It means this. It means that we need you. <laughs> That's what it means. It means that we need, we need you. It means that all of you have gifts and that in order for the body to function properly, we need you to participate in the body. Some of you, I mean, you're, you, you, you have amazing smiles, just gorgeous, right? And you should be greeting. Some of you are ornery and grumpy, and you should never greet, ever, okay? <laughs> never, ever, ever, okay? Some of you, you sing like an angel, and you, you might be able to sing on our team. Some of you, you just need to stay in the shower and sing there. That's it. That's, that's, stay right there. Just stay right there. <laughs> Some of you, listen, you're gifted in the area of working with children. Praise the Lord. Every single week, did you know this, that we're turning away five to ten kids because we don't have the capacity to take them. And you're gifted at working with kids, and we would love to have more kids, but we just don't have enough of the teachers to do it. And we have this problem. It's a good problem, but we have a problem. And there's kids that come, and parents are like holding their kids and like, you got in your room, please? And they're like, sorry. <laughs> right? Just, just like devastating. Because they just want a little bit of a break to hear the word of God. You know what I mean? And so, but we, we do this every week. Some of you, listen, you're more tech-oriented, and so you need to be in our sound booth behind one of our computers. You need to be running a video camera, one of our mobile units for our live stream. Um, you need to, um, you know, do those things hands-on to help us take our live stream and, and, and get it out to the masses, get it out to 
all of our regions so that people will hear the gospel. Some of you are more artistic. You should be in graphic design. You should be a photographer or at least dabble in it, and, and we can show you. We are, there's some skills you do need to bring, of course, to do that, but we can show you a lot of, of how to do that, and you could be doing that as well, okay? There are many different things that you could be doing. Here's what I'm trying to say. Listen, we are the body of Christ, and we need every body part to function well, okay? It's not up to one man or one woman, okay? The whole body is needed to do the work of the ministry, the whole body, you guys. Think of it like this. This, this, this will help you this will help bring, this illustration will help you learn, okay? Think about the human body. <laughs> I was going to wait, but the Spirit of God was on that one, so. Think about the human body, okay? Did you know that when you're hungry, your whole body responds? Have you ever been on the couch at night? Right, and you're watching Netflix or YouTube or whatever it is, and you suddenly decide, I need a snack. Some of you are like, mm, 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 yeah, mm. preach, Pastor Marco, preach. Right. I need a snack. I need that box of Cheez-Its. I need that bag of Doritos, or maybe for some of you, I need the kale chips or the broccoli bites or whatever you're into, the organic oats or whatever your thing is, right? And so... I need, <laughs> I, need to snack, I need to snack right now. When this happens, can I just tell you, your whole body decides to cooperate, right? So your brain sends a signal to your stomach to indicate that it's hungry, but then your brain sends signals to the rest of your body. So you're sitting on that couch, right? And all of a sudden, what happens? Your muscles engage. And then it's like, okay, here I go. And the body says, move, right? One, when you start to move, it's amazing. It's amazing, literally, it's amazing, right? Your leg is moving, and you're going in that direction of the pantry, and before you know it, you're able to eat the box of Cheez-Its or whatever your favorite snack is. Why? Because the whole body responds to the need. You see what I'm saying? The whole body responds. In the same way, we need the whole body of Christ to cooperate in order to do the work of the ministry, okay? Okay? So let's finish up our story. We're gonna go to verse number five all the way to verse seven. We're gonna look at those few verses. It says this, the proposal pleased the whole group. So they're thinking, okay, this is a good plan. All right, this is a good plan. They chose Stephen. Notice how they describe Stephen. And we're gonna talk about him probably next week, actually. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, also Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmesan cheese, and Nicholas, and from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. They presented these men. Listen to this. This is serious. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. They took seriously the work of the ministry. They took it seriously. This is why, listen, some of you who are on the kids' team, guess what Sarah does? She meets with her kids' team, and you guys get in a circle, and what does she do? She prays for you. Why? Because she takes it seriously, because you're doing the work of the ministry. That's right. If you're a greeter, listen, you're more than just someone who shakes a hand. You're doing the work of the ministry. We need you. We need all of the body to cooperate in order for what? To, for the body to um, work pro uh, properly, okay? Verse number seven, here's the result. Here's the result. So, okay, that little Greek word is important. So the word of God spread. 
Okay? The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What happens? What, church, what happens when all the body is functioning well and when the word of God is being emphasized? What happens? Growth. Growth. When the word of God is being proclaimed boldly and it's emphasized, and when all of the body is doing what they should be doing, the word of God goes further and there's more disciples. There are more. The growth takes place in the body of Christ. This is God's plan for the church, of course, right? Listen, and I get it, I get it. So outreach, taking care of the poor is important and I'm all for that, I am. And every single month we give to the Good Samaritan Rescue Mission. You don't know that, but your giving goes to, give, to, to them as well. We take care of the poor. We're helping to meet needs there, to feed people who need it. That's important, don't get me wrong. Absolutely important, and we should be doing that. But you know what's even more important actually is the word of God being emphasized. And so here's the deal. We should not do one to the detriment of the other. You see what I'm saying? So we could be a church. Hey, Pastor Marco, let's just serve. And let's, just, let's just do outreach. And I love your zeal for that. But so often when that happens, what, 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 what can happen is that nobody's paying attention to the word of God. Nobody's emphasizing God's word. And it decreases. And guess what? You may do more outreach, but the church doesn't grow. How does the church grow? The word of God is emphasized because of that. Right? We're taking care of people. Right? They work hand in hand. Right? They work hand in hand. I love what Luke says. Luke says this is not just about converts. It's about making disciples. And there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert is someone who believes in Jesus in the and he's converted by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He, began, he becomes a new man or a new woman. But a disciple is one who makes a commitment to follow Jesus and then obey him in every area of life. You see, we're supposed to be disciples. We make a commitment to follow Jesus. Where he goes, we go, and to obey him. Remember, Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, to obey Jesus in every area of our lives. It doesn't happen overnight. It's long. It's a long journey. It's a lifetime journey, right? But I love what Luke says that, Disciples grew. They increased. It wasn't just about converts. It was disciples, right? Now, here's what we see today. We see this, that unity is the glue that holds us together, okay? Unity is the glue that holds us together. Now, I'm almost done, so hold tight, okay? A few more minutes. But can you agree with me that over the last couple of years, we've had more things to fight about than ever before? I'll mention a few things. Just be warned, it might make some of your blood curdle, okay? So just chill out. We've got a lot of things that we can fight about. Red versus blue. Trump versus Biden, right? Mask, no mask, right? Get a shot, don't get a shot. Nationalism, are you progressive? A lot of opportunities to fight one another. A lot of opportunities to get so busy fighting each other that we forget that there's a world dying and going to hell. Is there room for debate in those issues I just talked about? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. There's total, 100%. 
total room for debate, pushback, and strong opinions. And I got my strong opinions, I promise you, okay? But we just, we need to make sure that debate doesn't mean hatred, okay? So we can debate, but we can't let it lead us to a place where we hate one another, right? So that's the danger. And, and here's, here's the one thing I think that we can all get on the same page about, okay? Here's the one thing that we can all agree on or that we should agree on, okay? We need to agree on this. Listen, that the only solution for our world, the only solution for our world is not a political party, it's not a policy, it's a savior. His name is Jesus. That is our one solution. Now, yeah, I might not like who you voted for and, and you might not like who I voted for and all that, all that stuff, right? But the kingdoms of this world will come to an end. And the king and his kingdom will rule forever. So if we give all of our time, the little kingdoms of this world, our focus is in the wrong direction, right? And we're tempted to make enemies out of those who we should love. And social media makes that easy because we can post anything we want. And I get it. And you, you have the freedom to do that. So whatever, it's on you. Knock yourself out. But I want to say this this morning. Listen, it is because of Jesus and him alone, he makes us one. And let me just say this this morning, because I don't assume that you know Jesus in a post-Christian culture. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the son of God, okay? He came to this earth some couple thousand years ago. He was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is not his last name. It means anointed one, a Messiah. Jesus, listen, lived the life that we couldn't live, which is a life without sin. Some of you, I, I, I know there's a few of you who don't know what sin is. Sin literally means missing the mark. It's missing the mark of God's standard. And so when it comes, when we compare ourselves, we like to compare ourselves to other people, but we, we should compare ourselves to God. And when we compare ourselves to God, listen, we fall short. That's what the scripture says. The Bible says that, that we fall short. Now, Jesus, listen, he took our sin, the sins of the world, and he went to a wooden cross. This was the way that they persecuted and killed people in first century Rome. They put him on a cross, they nailed him to a cross, and they killed him. They punished him. He was viewed as an insurrectionist by the Roman Empire. And the Jews, they hated him because they thought he was speaking blasphemy. Well, he was truly the son of God, though, and he lived a sinless life. Now, three days later, he was risen from the grave. God the Father rose Jesus up. We call that the resurrection. Now, we celebrate that during Easter especially. Now, if you, you may not know or really are familiar with Easter, but Easter is a celebration. It's not, it's not rooted in paganism. It's rooted in Christianity, actually. Pagans tried to take it over and uh, make much of it. But listen, it's actually rooted in the cross of Christ. His resurrection from the grave, and that now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, listen, one last thing. One day, Jesus is going to come back to the earth as a man, just as he was. He's going to come back to this world as we know it, and he's going to make all things right. He's going to eradicate sin. He's going to, I think the scripture says he's going to turn our swords into plowshares. He's going to bend our weapons. There'll be no more wars. 
There'll be no more invasions from another country to another country because they want more land and they want more power. They want to restore it back to the way it used to be back some 100 years ago or whatever it was. There'll be no more wars, no more famine. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more COVID-19. There'll be no more anything, okay? We won't need uh, any shots because we'll have our healer, okay? And we will, everything will be made right. And he's coming back to make everything new. And, 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 and listen, and this right here is not just the people that go to a building. We're called a family. It's a family of believers. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you personally. You heard it from me. I'm inviting you right now to enter into this family. You're welcome. This is now your family if you can say yes to Jesus. Amen, church? Right? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're welcomed into this family. But here's what we do expect. We expect that you will begin to submit your lives to him. The scripture says that you must repent. You turn away from your sin and you turn to Jesus. And guess what? He forgives you and he wipes you clean. and Gives you a new heart, a brand new start. It's amazing. And you don't earn it and you can't work for it either. It's not, that's not how it works. I know that you, you might be tempted to work for it, but it doesn't work that way. He's done all the work. He said on the cross, it is finished. Right? The work of salvation was complete that day. Right, just give me in one more minute, okay? Maybe 90 seconds actually, okay? As we leave today, okay, as we look at Acts chapter six, here's what I wanna ask you, and I want the Holy Spirit to just cement this on your heart. Number one, have there been ways in the last two years that you've let your differences separate you from certain parts of the body of Christ? Okay. Have there been ways that you've let your differences separate you from the body of Christ? Is there a way that you can become more intentional in spending time with people who you don't, don't look like you, think like you, talk like you, look like you, all the above? Is there a way you can do that? And I know some of you are like, ah, that sounds terrible, Marco. And some of you are kicking back at me. And I get it, okay? But if you're gonna be in, this is what we, this is what we need, right? This is what, are you in, are you out, right? I made that, that sort of pressing call in first service. Are you in, are you out? If you're in, then you'll do the work of reconciliation, of loving other people who don't look like you, right? Don't talk like you. Finally, this, are, how, how, how are you using your unique gifts and abilities to build up the church and enable it to be a fully functioning body? How? If you can't answer that question, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. I don't condemn you. I just simply ask, would you ask the Lord how, how you will be able to do that? And we want you to function in the body and all the members, whether you're a toe, whether you're a belly button, whether you're an ankle, whether you're a foot or, or, or an eyeball, nose, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Okay, we need all the parts to function together, right? All the parts to work together for what? So that, two things, the word of God can spread and disciples can be increased. That's what we need. This is how our church will grow. This is how we will reach more people. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Acts chapter 6. What an incredible um, chapter and, and, and lesson that we learned. Lord, would you just um, cement these truths in our hearts? 
this morning, God, that we are called to be one church, God, uh, not divided, um, but one church, Lord. And this is so hard because, um, God, as you know, we live in this very politicized um, realm today, Lord. Everything, God. I mean, if you like a chicken sandwich, you're going to be viewed as on the right or the left, God. And Lord, everything is over-politicized. And so, Lord, help us to be discerning, to be wise as serpents over and above all that, to, to love one another, God. And is there room for debate? 100%. Absolutely there is. And there should be. But God, we're called to be one and to love our brothers and sisters. God, I pray right now that this body would be a fully functioning body, Lord, that none of the parts would be outside of that body. God, we know that in real life, if someone chops off a finger and they leave it, Lord, that finger dies and it completely withers away and no longer does that body have a finger. God, it works the same way in the body of Christ. If someone goes outside the body, eventually they wither away. They wither away. We don't want that, God. We want a fully functioning body. So, Lord, may your word increase in Bay City, in Auburn, in Essexville, in Pinconning, in Freeland, Lord, and all the surrounding regions. May Radiant Church be a conduit for disciples to be increased in this city. We love you, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.